first patient I visited with was a 72-year-old woman who received adjuvant treatment four years ago. I am grateful for the opportunity to share some of my experiences. I really feel that communication is very, very important, and it's been much more successful with other cancers. And lung cancer is a hush-hush thing, and it shouldn't be. So I'm happy I'm here. So feel free, Dr. Love, to just ask me anything. That sounds great. How old are you? I'm 72, and I was diagnosed in 05. I was 68. And what was going on in your life at that time? I had just come home from a wonderful safari to Africa. (laughs) Well, are you retired or working? I'm a sculptor, so sculptors never retire. And who's at home with you? What's your family constellation? At this point, my husband. And I have a very, very supportive family, which was extremely helpful. I have three children, and one of my children, my daughter, is a physician. She's an ophthalmologist. So it was extremely helpful to have her as one of my advocates. And to have advocacy is very, very important during this, one of the greatest tests of my life. What happened where you found out you had a problem? I have allergies, and it seemed that a few years before the diagnosis, I developed adult-onset asthma. And I had a terrible cough, and my grandson said to me, why don't you have that checked? So I did. I had a chest X-ray, and it was clear. I came back from my adventure in Africa, and three people of my contemporaries were diagnosed with lung cancer, all within a period of a few weeks. And I still had this cough. And so I went to my doctor, and he said, look, you know, your chest x-ray is fine. A cough is not usually an indication of lung cancer, because I said so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. And he said, but if you would feel more comfortable getting a CAT scan, that's fine. So that's where we found it. And it would not have been found by a chest x-ray. It was in the upper right lobe. Now, did you have any thoughts about maybe why you might have been diagnosed with lung cancer? Had you smoked in the past? Or do you smoke now? I do not smoke now. I quit smoking in 1972. I did smoke very minimally, maybe five or six cigarettes a day. And in 72, when I was, I think, 35, I quit smoking and hadn't smoked since. What was your personal reaction when you found out what was going on? I'm dead. I went back to my doctor to get the CAT scan report. He didn't call me. He knew that my husband and I were coming in for flu shots, and he waited a few days, and he sat me down, and we discussed it. And then he said, there's something there. We don't know what it is. And he sent me to a pulmonologist, and the pulmonologist looked at me, and he said, the good news and the bad news. The bad news is, yes, it looks very much like a malignancy. The good news is it's confined, and it's stage one. And by the time I got to the pulmonologist, I decided I wasn't dead yet. But my husband was very, very, he was very good. When we walked out of my doctor's office, I said, I'm dead. And he looked at me, he says, well, you're not dead yet. Let's go have a cup of coffee and discuss it. And you know, it kind of helped. It was like, okay, I'm not dead yet. And three and a half years later, I'm still alive. So from there, I guess you went to have surgery to have it removed. Yes, I went to a surgeon recommended by the pulmonologist. He said, if you don't like him, I can give you two or three other names. But my daughter and my husband and I went. We liked him immediately. He spent an hour with me. And it was a Friday night. I said to him, it's Shabbos, but if you want to operate on me, I'm okay. And he said, let's wait till next week. And I had the surgery. And when you went back to see him after the surgery, what did he tell you in terms of what had been found there? 
they did a biopsy, an immediate biopsy in the operating room, and he prepared me and told me that, you know, he was quite sure he would take out the entire lobe. And when he saw me after the surgery, he said that he felt that it was confined, stage 1B because of the size of the tumor, and that everything was clear. He said, I think you're fine. Because it was the size it was, we recommend adjuvant chemotherapy. What had you heard about chemotherapy prior to that time or experiences with people who'd received it? I have a few friends who had, you know, they lost their hair. That was always like the crowning blow, (laughs) excuse the pun, but it really is. But, you know, that you'll get sick, you get nauseous, you know, I didn't hear good things, but... And one physician did say, now that we've cured you, you know, we're going to feel like we're killing you, but, you know, we do feel that this is the best way to go. And so I also have a very dear friend who's an oncologist, and he was another advocate. So I've been very blessed with support systems, and he was very helpful. Now, how much detail do they get into with you in terms of the risks of the treatment, but also the potential benefits? Well, the potential benefits, they clearly felt that I was cured and that the chemotherapy was additional preventative, I guess you'd say. And the doctor did go through exactly what it would be, 16 weeks of weekly treatments of two different chemicals, one every other week, the cisplatin and the navelbean every week, infusions. The doctor felt I would lose my hair. At that point, it wasn't important until it started falling out, and then I realized, yes, this really does make a difference. I was not as prepared for the side effects as I thought I would be. And one thing I'd like to say, Dr. Love, is that I think it's very, very important for a patient to have some control over their lives. And at a time like this, it's very important to feel like you have some kind of control. And I did everything I could for myself as much as I could. I continued to do exercise. Even if I didn't feel well, I always made sure I walked around the block, if nothing else. I tried to get rest, which was sometimes very, very difficult, and I kept my mind as active as I could. Now, when you say you weren't as prepared as you might have been, what were the things that you encountered that you weren't expecting? I felt so lousy. And I don't know if you can be prepared to feel lousy until you feel the way that you do from these treatments. I didn't realize that the steroids that I took to help the nausea would make me so terribly, terribly uncomfortable. In what way? A lot of people get kind of hyper on steroids. Oh, I was off my rocker. I couldn't sleep at night. My legs were bouncing. I didn't know what to do. And in a very strange way, you're extremely hyper. And for me, it was terribly uncomfortable. Did some of the symptoms sort of wax and wane, you know, more after the chemo and it kind of got better for a while? Or was the whole experience kind of the same? No, no, just a few days. And then I was okay for a few days. But weekly treatments are very difficult. And how did you feel at the end of the four months in general? Physically, I was very wiped. I was tired. I was really tired. I did not have my taste back. Everything tasted like metal. And I was bloated from the steroids. So physically, I was exhausted and wiped out. But mentally... I thought, oh, this is great. It's over. I'm all better now. I'll never have any problems again. And that's the other thing. You know, you think that everything else has gone away because you've been hit with this, and so that's it. But, you know, I was 69 by the time I got toward the end of it, and life goes on, and I still have arthritis, and I still have asthma, and I still have, you know, these different things to deal with. But it took me a year to get over the treatments. So until you kind of felt back to your normal self. Yeah, a good year. And what happened to your hair? 
I lost about a third of it, not even that, maybe 20%, lost all texture. But what I did out of that, I didn't like any of the head coverings, so I designed a head covering that I liked, and a few other people liked it, so I started making them when I felt well enough during my treatments, and I sold them, and I supported National Lung Cancer Partnership that way. What about nausea and vomiting with the chemo? Any of that? I did not have any vomiting, and the nausea was not too bad. I didn't worry too much about my diet. I know I should have, but all I wanted to do was be able to get rid of that metallic taste, and so I had a taste for white. I ended up with mashed potatoes, milkshakes. I don't know what it was, but you know that seemed to satisfy me. But I wasn't terribly nauseous. I was just not feeling great. Any other side effects that you attributed to the chemotherapy? Yeah, I had a little bit of numbness, neuropathy. Where was it? In your hands or feet or what? In my toes. In your toes, you felt kind of numb. Yeah, I had some neuropathy, and I still have that in a couple of toes. But not badly. I really didn't have too many bad side effects. But it took you a whole year to recover. Do you feel that the decision about the adjuvant therapy, whether or not to proceed, which agents to use. Do you think that was your decision or was it really the doctor recommending it and you were kind of going along with it? I felt that it was the two doctors, the oncologist and the surgeon, both recommended it because of the studies they've made. I agreed with them. I think the patient always has the right to opt in or out of anything they want to do. It's their choice. But my daughter and my husband and I and my sons, we discussed it and we felt I should go as far with whatever I can do to stave off any further cancer. If they would have offered to try to further explain this to you by going into statistics about what the chance of cure would be with and without treatment or you know some of these issues, would you have wanted that kind of information or you rather just sort of leave that stuff up to the doctors? No, I wanted whatever information they felt comfortable in giving me. And the surgeon did discuss some statistics with me. And, you know, we're talking almost four years ago, so I'm not real clear on some of those discussions. But some of that was discussed, you know, that they really felt that they didn't know if the adjuvant was more helpful than, you know. But I was prepared to do whatever I had to do. And I know a person who didn't do it, but she had stage 1A. And at that point, they weren't recommending any further treatment. With me, they've been recommending it at that point for about three years. Do you think that you received adequate medical and psychosocial support during this whole time? Or do you think there are things that could have been done better more effectively? I think that's the weak area is the support. Medical care was superb. So it was more the support, the counseling information that you thought could have been better? Yes. I think that it would help to almost have someone assigned to me who I could email, who I could talk with. A patient has so many questions, so many fears. You feel so isolated. And I tried, you know, anytime there, I went to a couple, I went to a makeup thing, you know, wherever I could talk with other people. And it helped me a little bit and it helped my humor. You know, it's hard to keep your humor when you're going through a life-threatening situation. You mentioned that patients in this situation often have a lot of questions. What were the kinds of questions that you had in the beginning, and what kind of answers did you get? Well, what caused it? That was a big thing. You know, was it because I smoked 35 years earlier, minimally, but smoked? Was it because I was raised in Pittsburgh, you know, maybe a mile and a half from the mills that were going 24 hours a day making stuff for World War II? I'm ancient, so we go back quite a while here. (laughs) Was it my ceramic studio? I work in different media now. I shut down my ceramic studio when I was diagnosed with this, and 
I worked in an unsafe environment because in the days that I was a ceramist, we weren't as cautious, you know. I wore a mask but didn't have the specific equipment as people work with now. So was it all those years of mixing glazes, of spraying glazes? Who knows? And nobody had an answer for that. Nobody. And they don't have an answer for the smoking. I mean, I know the statistics. Has there been anything positive that came out of this experience for you? I think any life-threatening experience that you survive can be positive. And I absolutely feel that I'm grateful to be alive. I cannot say that when people say that you need to live every day, that's easy to say. But when you have, you know, anything I have now is like, uh uh-oh, the cancer's come back in another form. You know, so once you've had, at least for me, and I tend to be a little bit overly sensitive, which is saying I'm really neurotic, but... I think once you have something like this, you know it can come back. You know you're not safe. You know, that's life. And so it took me a while to become adventuresome again. I've always traveled a lot. I'm independent that way. I like to do fun things. It took me a few years to get back to doing an adventure with friends without my husband. I needed him a lot. I needed a lot of support. And still, I'm always concerned if I have something, I think of the worst first. What are some examples where you've had things happen and you thought it was the cancer coming back and it wasn't? Even with the cough and you know, with the asthma or almost anything, I'll say, oh, is the cancer here or is it there? And, you know, and the truth is I've had my body examined more than most people. I should be a little more comfortable about it, but I'm not, frankly. And I'm saying that, you know, I'm not Pollyanna here. That's what it is. Do you think that that is getting better with time or is it pretty much staying the same? It's not getting better with time, but I think that's because of my age as well. I think it's partly that I'm not 35 or 40, but I'm 72. But I mean, the concern when you experience something that maybe this is the cancer coming back, does that pop into your mind as much now as it did a couple years ago? Is it about the same? Maybe a little less, but it's still there. And it isn't so much the lung cancer. I know I'm cured from lung cancer, but some other kind of cancer can crop up. You know, I have a lot of acquaintances and dear friends who have died from cancer. So it's there. Yeah, it's something that I think about. It sounds like maybe this experience has made you more aware of your own you know, mortality, I guess. Have you ever had a serious illness before? Not like this. No. Hmm. No. You know, the things I have are more chronic. If you could give some advice or share something with a person who, let's say, is about to begin going down the road that you've already been down, what are some of the things you might want to say? I'd like to speak specifically to lung cancer. It is not always your fault. You're not necessarily going to die from it. You can be cured, and it can be managed. I think those are very important issues for people to understand. It's really interesting you bring up this issue of it's not your fault, because that's certainly out on the table in terms of smoking, although I don't hear maybe people talking as much about diet and heart disease or et cetera. But do you share the fact that you've been treated for lung cancer with other people? Every chance I get. Really? Absolutely. And I'm going to guess that 90% of them, the first thing out of their mouth is, did you smoke? No, (laughs) 99.9%. How does that make you feel when you hear that? That they're not informed, that's all. That they're partly informed. There's one other way it makes me feel. It's as if they're looking at me and saying, oh, well, that won't happen to me because I never smoked. But let me tell you, two of those three people never smoked who were friends of mine. 
who were diagnosed with lung cancer. Yeah, you know, I've heard that from a lot of people who've been diagnosed with lung cancer. One person said something really interesting to me. She said, when they ask me that, I say, why do you ask? In other words, she doesn't answer. She just says, why are you asking me? I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, well, I don't want to put people on the defensive about it. And I do understand often they'll stop and hesitate and look at me and I'll say, I haven't smoked since 1972. I know that's on your mind, but let me tell you, there are a lot of people out there with lung cancer who never smoked. You see it over and over. And for the people who do, I mean, you know, everybody does. I mean, I'm not justifying it, but again, it seems different with lung cancer in terms of a lot of other things that people do that maybe have risk. I sometimes wonder if people are trying to protect themselves emotionally by saying, oh, well, you smoked or whatever. You mean that it won't happen to them because they're not smokers? Right. You're absolutely right. But, you know, I think it is a self-protection. Well, that won't happen to me because I don't smoke. Right. But then, you know, I start throwing some statistics at them and explain to them that it's a growing problem among women, a growing disease among women. They're doing research, I believe, on that, and they don't know what is the cause of that. You know, it's out there. I have no idea why I got it. No one else in my family has ever had any, in my media family, my parents, my mother died at the age of almost 97, my dad at 87. My brother is older than I am, and he's an asthmatic, but he's fine and clean. And so who knows? Was it the ceramics? I don't Something in my system that connected. And that's why I feel, I still feel vulnerable. Something was weak in me. And maybe that's a psychological issue, too. I don't know. But in my body, that allowed this to grow. I can tell you, I was diagnosed a few months after my mother passed away. And I can tell you, the previous 10 to 12 years were very stressful years for me. I had a lot of responsibility. I think almost everybody feels vulnerable after going through this kind of experience. What are the things that give you strength? Well, certainly the love of my family. I just have so much support And my love of life, you know, I just have a good time sometimes, (laughs) not always. And I love my work. I just live. I think it's very important for people to do as much as they can for themselves when they're going through something like this. And, you know, people say, you know, it's stress. And I think stress has a tremendous amount to do with making your body vulnerable. And that's why I brought up that I was under a lot of stress for 10 or 12 years. And I think that may very well have caused my body to be put in a vulnerable situation. Just out of curiosity, does exercise fit into your lifestyle? Tremendously. What do you do? I do a system called the Egoscue Method, which is kind of an alignment thing, which is extremely interesting. And I've been doing it since 1998. I do Tai Chi almost every day of my life. I swim, I walk, I hike, and I bike, and I snowshoe and cross-country ski. How does all that fit into de-stressing? Oh, you have to do it. I couldn't sleep if I didn't do it. You know, it's just very, very important. I mean, I do at least two hours a day of something, Hmm. most every day. It's just part of my life, and I think as you get older, you must make time for it if you want to feel good. Well, this has been great. Anything you want to add to what you said today? When I saw my surgeon recently for my annual checkup, great, great guy, and I asked him, if you were to talk to a group, what would you tell them about lung cancer? And he would say, tell them it's not necessarily your fault, and you don't necessarily die from it. And those were the two things that stuck out for him. And with me, it is that 
if you are diagnosed with this, do everything you can to help yourself. I did acupuncture. Let me mention that too, to help with the nausea. Anything you can do to feel like you have some control and communication with your physician or the PA, whoever he has working with you, is very important. And I would encourage the medical world to spend a little more time on that field. You know, I'm thinking too about somebody who's in that year window that you talked about when you really didn't feel well. And I guess another message that I get just from looking at you today is the fact that you got past that. You know, you felt better again. I wonder if there are people out there who think they're never going to feel good again. You will. You really will. You'll feel better again. You do. Yes, I feel great. I'm really great. And I was at a physician's office for something else last week, and I mentioned to her something that I had lung cancer a few years ago, and she said, oh, you're in remission. And I looked at her and I said, no, I'm cured. It never occurred to me that it's remission. No, it's over. It's history. 